Thank you for listening to Breakthrough Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. Brought to you by John Crampton. For more podcasts, news and other events, please visit breakthroughlife.co.za. Okay. Now, what I wanted to um, talk about this morning, and we're going to have to keep it reasonably um, within limits um, because we are going to say goodbye to Eskim at noon. And uh, we just need to prepare our equipment and so on um, so we don't get any, uh, any nonsense to, to our stuff. So, what I want to talk to you about is a New Testament understanding of prophetic ministry. And the Lord is a speaking God. And he speaks to us. He always has been a speaking God and he always will be. Okay? In the beginning, God said, let there be. All right? So God is the one who communicates. He speaks things into being. He sustains everything by his word. And so out of relationship with his sons and his daughters, he communicates. In fact, Joel prophesied and then Peter picks us up on the day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago. He said the last days had begun. He said, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. In other words, everybody who is in relationship with God has the ability to hear his voice. My sons and my daughters are going to hear what I'm saying and will be able to communicate that to other people. And so we know that this is God's intention to continue speaking today. It's quite interesting. I was reading, you know, a bit of some articles and things, you know, around what I want to be preaching today. And uh, it just absolutely amazes me how quickly people can dismiss the fact that God actually wants to speak. And, and, you know, like it only happened in the first century and then, you know, God ran out of things to say. Uh, you know, that the whole passages in Scripture, as we're going to look at today, you know, oh, it was just for that first century and then for some reason it had an expiry date and, and, and doesn't, doesn't apply to us. I mean, that is just so bizarre. Okay? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if he was speaking then, he's speaking now. Okay? But in this... And mostly in our church environments, we have an expectation that God is going to speak to us, that he wants to communicate, and we, we um, at times approach the scriptures to find examples and models in terms of how we should do it. Sometimes we do it in helpful ways, and sometimes it is in unhelpful ways. And so I just want us to just, you know, take a little bit of time to think about the, the implications with regards to prophetic ministry, but from a New Testament, a new covenant point of view, right? So let me first start here and then I'll, I'll come back, all right? We know that as believers in Jesus, 
the way we come to faith and the way we then live is based on the cross. It's based on what Jesus came to do for us. We needed a savior, we needed saving. And so Jesus came to save his people from their sins. And his name means he saves. And so the whole point and purpose of Jesus' ministry was the cross. So everything actually is pointing to the cross and culminates in the cross. That's what Jesus came to do. And, and on the cross, he took upon himself the sin and the judgment that should have been on us as the fallen race, should have been on the sons of Adam. So all of our sin and our sickness, our judgment, all these things, he took upon himself on the cross and he became the substitute that we would not have to die. Okay? So my faith and my belief, my ability to enter into eternal life is based on my trusting and believing in the finished work of the cross. Is that right? Yes. And so we, as partakers of the new covenant, we are living on the right side of the cross. The correct side. It's not about left or right, okay? It's got nothing to do with political views or anything like that. This is just living on the correct side, on the right side. Because if we're living on the wrong side, we're gonna do things that are gonna cause our, our life and our thinking to become twisted. It's gonna be bent out of shape. It's gonna be mangled, okay? So, because I believe in Jesus, the only way I could come to faith salvation was by putting my hope and my trust in his righteousness, not in my good works. You see, on the wrong side of the cross here, they had the law. And the law, the, the, the rules and regulations that was given through the Mosaic law was under that old covenant the scripture says that the law was to act like a tutor that was going to lead us towards repentance. And the only true repentance is when we come to the cross. And so this law, which was a works-based religion, through your effort trying to live right so that you would be acceptable, only to discover that the law could not make us acceptable. Everybody fell short. No one was able to uphold the whole law all of the time. And of course, you make one mistake, one sin, you are disqualified. So no one was qualified on the basis of the law. That was the old, that's the wrong side of the cross. Jesus comes, he fulfills the law, the only one who was perfect. Therefore, he's the perfect sacrifice and the substitute. So for us, living on the right side of the cross is because we believe that I am righteous, not because I've done good things, 
but because Jesus is the righteous one. So now I have this exchange. I've, in a sense, surrendered, given him my unrighteousness, and he has given to me his righteousness. So when God looks at me, he says, you're righteous. Right? Okay, we, this is a bit of recap. Okay? So, when I live, I'm living because of the life of Christ, and I'm living because of the work of the cross. I was saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. And I'm continuing in my journey by faith. I'm continuing the same way I started in believing, I'm continuing and I'm gonna live my whole life also in faith. Because it's the cross and the cross alone. It's not the cross plus my good behavior equals heaven. No, no, it's because of what he has done. Absolutely, purely, exclusively. Not because I've done good things, right? Okay, this is good theology. And then, on the basis of what he has done, I now live a life to please him. Not to earn anything, but to please him. So my right living is not earning my salvation. My right living is not sustaining or maintaining my salvation. My right living is in response to what he has done. We love him because he first loved us and laid down his life for us, correct? So because of his love, he says, now listen, if you love me, do my commands, follow my commands. So out of love, we follow in his ways. And we're growing in our relationship with him and so we please him, we want to do that and we do it willingly not to try and earn salvation or earn or sustain my salvation, but pleasing him, growing up in him. Are we clear on this? Because unfortunately, too many people, they don't dissect it and think it through this way, but they're actually living like it's the cross plus what I can do. Therefore, I must pray more. I must read my Bible more. I must fast more. I must give more money. I must, I must, I must to add to the cross. No. The Bible says no. That's not your motivation. That's not the, the reason. You're not adding anything to the cross. It's the cross and the cross alone. Hmm? Paul says, yeah. I preach the cross, that's it. But then I live in response out of what's happened at the cross. Is this good? Okay? Now, because I'm on the right side of the cross, when I go to the scriptures, I'm viewing the scriptures through 
my new covenant lenses because I'm a partaker of the new covenant. Correct? So as I look at the scriptures, I'm seeing that it's the revelation of who God is. He's dealings with people and is giving us all of the background and we're seeing something of who God is. I say something because we cannot now on earth with our finite brains comprehend everything about an infinite God. He's bigger than our brains. In that sense, he's even bigger than the book. I mean, John writes himself in, the, in his gospel and, and he says, listen, if everything that Jesus had done had been written down, and then he goes into a little bit of hyperbole, but it's okay. He said there wouldn't be enough libraries to contain all the books if we had to write down everything that Jesus did. In other words, Jesus did a whole lot. There's a whole lot more to who God is than what we've got written and recorded in the pages. In that sense, he's bigger than the book. And we're gonna take all of eternity to, to know him more and to discover and, 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 and to, to, to try and grasp the height and the breadth and the, le- the length and, and all of these dimensions of who God is. We need eternity, not just three years in Bible school. Okay, more than our lifetime, he's bigger than all we can discover in our lifetimes. Okay, I love this. Why do I like this? I'm glad you asked. I like this because he's way bigger than we first thought. He's really, 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 really big. And my brain actually can't wrap around how big he really is. That means we've got an enormous God. Yay! We're not serving a small little puny God. You're like, he must fit in this box and he must only do what I think he must do. No, he's bigger than your box. As I say, he came out of the box a long time ago. The Ark of the Covenant. God lives outside the box. He doesn't just think out the box. He lives out the box. So as I'm coming to the scriptures with my New Covenant, New Testament lenses, I'm looking and seeing the revelation of who he is. But I am on this side of the cross And when I read passages of scripture from the Old Testament, the Old Testament is the shadow, Jesus and the revelation, and in the New Testament is the real. It's the substance. So when I'm looking at the shadow, and there's a lot for us to learn from looking at the shadow, but I'm looking at the Old Covenant through the lenses of the new covenant. And as I'm looking at God's dealings with his people, I'm looking for what it was pointing to the cross. I'm not reading in the old covenant and the old testament to try and bring myself back under law. 
because I, as a New Testament, New Covenant believer, live under grace. And these guys over here were living under law. I can learn something, but I'm not trying to go back and emulate. I'm not trying to live back there as though I was under law because I've been set free from the law. We don't have to go back to that any longer. Is this making some sense? So as we're reading Old Covenant, Old Testament passages, we keep in mind that we have New Testament lenses. We live from the right side of the cross. And we're trying to figure out how these people on the wrong side of the cross were living. Sometimes they, no, they mostly got it wrong. There were some things where God moved powerfully and God intervened, and that's what we want to learn about. Okay? The honesty of the scriptures is just so tremendous, transparent. Hides, doesn't hide, you know, the bad and the ugly under the carpet. You know what I'm talking about? I find more and more I have to explain some idioms and expressions to the, the younger generation. Like I use figures of speech that I thought everybody would know. You're like, you know, just wind your neck in. Kind of like, wind your neck in? What do you mean by that? Just kind of like. Yeah, those kinds of things, which I grew up and I thought everybody used these figures of speech. And looking at your faces, I guess you don't use them either. (laughs) So wind your neck in, instead of like, you know, getting in the face of somebody else, and arguing and you know, making a big noise in a big scene, just like pull yourself back, wind your neck in, slow down, calm down. Wind your neck in. Get off your high horse, heard that one? Okay, it's that kind of a thing. You know, just like, whoa, calm down. You know, it's just gonna be okay. Wind your neck in. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> so, Under the law, people lived with a particular mindset and there was a particular revelation in their context. Yes, they were pointing and looking to the cross as the prophetic fulfillment of righteousness and freedom, but that was their perspective, okay? We called to live here. Now, I told you all of that to tell you this. When it comes to New Testament prophetic ministry, it seems really weird to me. And a lot of prophetic ministries do this very same thing. Is that they fundamentally base themselves on the old model. On the Old Testament prophets. And they think that that model and that way of releasing prophetic ministry is what we need on the right side of the cross. Whereas in actual fact, this was applicable to the wrong side of the cross. For example, in the New Covenant, and you'll see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm going to run out of time, so let me give you some scripture, otherwise you're going to miss this one. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 1, now about the gifts of the Spirit, 
Okay, spiritual gifts, brothers, sisters, I don't want you to be ignorant, one translation, I don't want you to be uninformed. Why? Because they were ignorant and they were uninformed. Corinthians was a highly supernatural church. They would pray in tongues, they would talk in tongues for hours and hours. The gatherings were marked by tongue talking. And Paul was not afraid of their tongue talking. In fact, later on he says, listen guys, I pray in tongues even more than you guys do. So they'd rock up for their gathering. It seems from some of the academics and the people who are very, very clever, much more clever than I am, that the, the, the church in Corinth, they would get together and somebody would like launch off in tongues and would, as though they were preaching, they would preach in tongues and trust that the Holy Spirit would give to the people there the interpretation. And then the next, they would sit down and the next person, you know, would, would, would actually, they would do it the other way around. You would sit to preach in biblical times. So the next person would have a go and they would go flat out in tongues and he says, listen, man, let's rather have some intelligible words here. The people from outside who are not born again, they're gonna think you're a bunch of nutters. So when we're together, we need clear sounds. Like when an army goes to war and the trumpet blows, it needs a clear signal on the trumpet. Otherwise you don't know, are they calling us to war or are they calling us for food? Is the trumpet say we must attack on the right or on the left? So if it's unclear, you won't know what to do. So we actually need the interpretation of the tongues so that we can get some clarity on what's going on. Paul was not against tongues. He was saying, listen, let's have all these things. They must be done, but let's make sure we're doing it in a good and godly, orderly way. Yes. All right. So these guys, they thought they were super spiritual, but they were messing things up by doing some crazy things, like I've just said. So there needed to be some understanding that was brought to bear to these people who are very gifted, very spiritual. Okay? Um, verse 4, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. Different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Different kinds of working, but the same God works all them in all men. So different kinds of spirits. So, you know, the Lord is, is giving to us tools in order that we can do the, the work of ministry that we can, if, we can operate effectively. Yeah? I mean, it, it, I find this quite intriguing. Sometimes people will come to me and they'll say, you know, John, um, I've got the gift of discernment and I just want to tell you what's going on in your church. And, um, and generally I'll just smile because that's a good thing to do. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, you probably don't really think this whole thing through. But as elders, God has called us and he's anointed us to fulfill a particular role, a task, a function. And when God calls, he also equips. Meaning, he's given me a tool belt and I've got a whole bunch of tools. Maybe you don't have eyes to see, but I'm wearing a tool belt. Because he's not going to ask me to lead people without giving me the necessary spiritual tools in order that we as a company of people might do what he wants us to do. A little clue, I've also got the gift of discernment. Right? We didn't end up here by accident, people. This is not our first service. 
We've been through many battles. We've been through many very interesting situations. And we've learned how to use the tools on our tool belt. It's just that we understood from reading a little bit further on, verse 7, now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Common good meaning it's for us as a blessing for us as the people of God. It's not been given to me so I can strut my stuff. <laughs> Didn't you know? I'm the man of God. It's not given to us for performance. It's not given to us to think more highly than, of ourselves than we ought. I mean, that's the whole, the, the, the similar passage in Romans that deals with this is all about humility. I don't have to run around telling everybody what gifts I have. I've just got a tool built in order that I can do the job. He just wants the job done. So I find it really like intriguing, weird, like what's wrong with you? That you've got to so like, so did you know I have a prophetic gift? And so have I. And that's okay. So instead of trying to duel against each other, let's recognize that it's for the common good. It's not given to us that we might launch John Crunton Ministries International Incorporated. No, 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 no. It's for the common good. The context later on in verse 12 here, it says now, listen, in the body, there are many parts and, and we're all working together. Has Paul suddenly kind of like, you know what, I ran out of things to say, so I've said enough about the spiritual gifts, so um, let me just go on somewhere else now. No, he's writing a letter. The original, there's no punctuation, there are no verses, there are no chapters. It's one long letter. And he's very specifically saying, now listen guys, the Lord has given to you spiritual people as crazy as you may be. He's given you these gifts. Now let me help you unpack and understand what this is all about. And he's given it in the context of the body so that you're not puffing each other up or whatever it is. Think, you're understanding that it's in the body. It's not old covenant thinking. I'm a lone prophet. I'm the only one. Behold a voice crying in the wilderness. That's Old Testament thinking prophetic ministry. Here in the New Testament, he says, now don't you know in the body these gifts are given for the common good. The setting and the context is not about yourself and is not about a lone itinerant thing. It's anchored into the body for the strengthening and the establishment of the body. Not so you can have your own independent ministry. And these things must be done in the body so that the body can grow up. This is scripture. When we try and we model ourselves on old covenant thinking, we're taking an old wineskin and we're trying to put new wine into an old wineskin. 
Scripture says, the skin will burst and the wine will spill out, be ruined. So with prophetic ministry in the New Testament church, with New Testament, New Covenant lenses, let us not revert to Old Covenant, Old Testament models of prophetic ministry and say, that's the model. No, that's the shadow. That's the shadow. Come on. What are we called to? Something absolutely beautiful, significant upgrade. The new covenant is as far superior over the old. Right? So we know that everything that God is doing in the new covenant has got to be better and supersede. So instead of having a few lone ranger prophets in the old covenant, he says, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. Oh my goodness, some things are different here. Exactly. Come back next week and I'll tell you more. How's that? Would you stand? Can we just say thank you, Lord, for giving us the new covenant? Can we say thank you, Lord, that you are working in our hearts and our minds to give us a new covenant set of lenses? That as we approach the scriptures, we can see you and your working and your moving in the New Testament. And as well as in the old, but understanding the old was pointing to the new and not calling us to live back under the law. But you called us for freedom. So we give you thanks. We thank you, Lord, that you are releasing gifts to your body, that the body might mature, develop, grow up. You're taking us from one level of glory to a higher, another one. Thank you, Lord, that there's increasing maturity. We ask that you would help us to grow in these things because of what you have for us. We acknowledge that the best is yet to come. And all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. amen. Bless you.